Jeremy, we say cheers. Happy liquid lunch. Cheers, my friend. Happy 50, liquid lunch. 50 years of 50. harvesting grapes for this man right here. Hank Donatoni, you are the Cork Dorks hero. How are you, sir? Oh, fine, thank you. Thanks for the invite. It's so um, nice to have you. It seems like it was yesterday that I started making wine. Yeah. And uh, never dreaming I'd be doing it 50 years later. Well, we've had you in. We've had some great stories with you. Um, I know today we're going to hear more. I just kind of caught a story out in the bullpen before we came in. Maybe we'll start there because you used to be, you were in the Navy. We know that. Thank you for your service, my yes, friend. Thank you very much. And uh, you were also a United Airlines pilot, correct? Right. 36 years. And, wow. Um, and and so the and Martin Crote is here as well. Martin, it's good to see you. Uh, it's been on the court dorks, and it's good to have you on the liquid lunch. You guys are friends, which is really neat. Um, but you were you were kind of telling a story about after you would get done on a flight, you would take people over to the taste room. He had a winery down the street from the what LAX. Yeah, right at the end of the runway. Actually, if you looked out the front door, <laughs> you're looking down at two five right. Uh-huh. We were three hundred. Yeah, see, I mean, we, you can still talk we like were uh, three hundred and twenty-three feet under the guide path. Uh-huh. And so, uh huh. And so, if you like to look up at the belly of airplanes, it was a great place. So they just they rocked over the top of. Do you ever lose glasses and bottles from the vibrations? And uh, no, but when they took off to the uh, east, which is very rare in L.A. because the west wind is always blowing. But you always go over the water, right? When you get uh, yeah. the few uh, winds, they had to take off. You can't take off more than 10 knots of tailwind. So uh, anytime the wind was out of the east over 10 knots, you had to take off to the east. And when they did that, uh, every car alarm went off, and the building actually, you could feel it shake. Wow. And uh, we always joked uh, that we got a year settling in a month there with the vibration from the jets. Yeah, no kidding. Huh? And also, you know, that didn't leave anything outside at the winery because it, it was greasy within a week. Oh, I the feel, jet fuel, the exhaust. just in the air and stuff. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and uh, so uh, and actually, uh, Sandy, when she was on a flight and sitting on the jump seat as a flight attendant, uh, she could look out the window in a forty-seven and see if my van was there. So then she would make an announcement to the flight attendants, uh, debriefing at Hanks. <laughs> oh, that's just so, coming in. So you met that's Sandy it. as she was a flight attendant, and you were a pilot. Yes, uh, we actually met in uh, 19, uh, uh, let's see, that was 68. Oh, wow. And, uh, 50 um, years ago. And, uh, yeah, and uh, we like to tell the story. We got married a month after uh, our meeting, but not to each other. Uh, Sandy got married uh, uh, to a vice president of Douglas Aircraft, and I married uh, another flight attendant who later passed on. How many yeah. flight attendants did you date? Well, uh, well at least two, you know. <laughs> he says at least and two. Then, That's a good number. And then yeah. Sandy and I re- didn't get together until 20 years after our initial meeting. Wow. We'd see each other, you know, in passing at the airline. And uh, and uh, she always brought the flight attendants there for luncheons uh, or invited me to all the luncheons because I'd always bring the wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, that. wine is a great bribe factor, you know. Oh yeah, and uh, it uh, it's not like a, a true bribe because uh, you know a gift of wine is always uh, accepted. A tall, handsome man who's a <laughs> pilot and a winemaker—that's got to be pretty good on the uh, dating resume. Well, yeah, um, of course we never really did any announcement about the wine uh, as far as the airline was concerned. Cause right, we weren't supposed to be really, you know, be. We never drank illegally because 
When I started, though, with United, United had a 24-hour rule, which basically meant you could never drink. And, uh, and Wait, 24 hours from when you fly, you're not supposed to have any alcohol? Alcohol. The FAA is eight hours. Okay. And uh, anyway, and finally, uh, one of our vice presidents got caught under the 24-hour, and all of a sudden, they changed it to 12 hours. <laughs> so we were pretty happy about that, it's too. It's a good thing right. the right guy got caught, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really neat, though. I mean, you talk about your history with your wife, and uh, you can kind of see that up at the winery. Uh, on the wall, you've got some great pictures that kind of go back, and it kind of showcases both both of your careers a little bit. Well, yes. Other than uh, the one little detail that happened with United is they canceled our pensions. And um, other than that, you know, it was a pretty good company. but uh, And they were an equal opportunity employer. They canceled everybody's. Most airlines canceled their pilots' pensions only because that was such a big amount of money. But the United canceled everybody's. And thank God uh, there's a pension guarantee board that most people don't even know about. And all pensions pay into that. It's not taxpayer money, which is really surprising. And uh, we were keeping our fingers crossed that GM didn't come in because the uh, government bailed them out. All oh, right. Oh, sure. Because they would have bankrupt the pension guarantee board. So did you? were you able to secure a little bit of that that you earned? Yeah. Uh, depending on your age and how long you work, they have a magic formula that nobody really knows. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I didn't get hit as hard. The people, uh, the bankruptcy was in 2005, and the people, our friends are retired in 2003, they lost 85% of their retirement, uh, which pretty much wiped them out. Yeah, yeah. sad. Hank Donatoni is here. It's a liquid lunch. We also have his friend and neighbor Martin Crowd. We're going to talk all about 50 years of crushing grapes with this uh, legend right here. First of all, let's just talk about Harvest 1968, you know, your first one. What were some of the... Uh, can you look back in your mind kind of like a catalog of, oh, yeah, 72, da-da-da-da, uh, vintage 68, blah, blah, blah. I bought a house in 1968, and it came with a vineyard. And about three months after I bought the house, those damn grapes were getting ripe. <laughs> so uh, I, I was flying to New York, luckily. So I hopped on the subway and went down to Little Italy and bought a book on how to make wine. And that got me started. And, uh, and then uh, we organized an amateur winemaking club in Woodland Hills out in the San Fernando Valley. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and so we started going up to Davis on weekends for their extension courses. They used to be very inexpensive. We went up mostly to party and drink wine, but we learned a little bit along the way. It's a far drive, though. Yeah, but from that club, uh, at the last count, uh, we've opened 54 wineries here in California. Wow. And uh, many of them still in business, a lot around me. Um, Bob Dunning, right around the corner, was a cellar master. Uh, original uh, Palilla Winery was a cellar master. And the original Peachy Canyon was a cellar master. Wow. So your first fruit, what, what did you make? What was the wine? What, uh, what, what was done my this vineyard done? vineyard was half Grenache and half Zimmerdale. Oh, okay. And uh, so... Uh, and, and the house was down in Woodland Hills? No, it was actually in Topanga Canyon, oh, okay. which is right adjoining Woodland yeah. Hills. Okay. The canyon goes on into Woodland Hills. Now, we've heard... Um, Kukula, Kevin Usula. Yes, he was my neighbor. Is that right? Because he had vineyards down there in Topanga Canyon, too. Yeah, he was my neighbor, and I got him enthused on making wine. Is that right? And then what was surprising, I went to uh, 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 wine tasting on uh, Roan Varietals, and there he was. Didn't even know he had had a winery up here. 
And my niece happened to be with me at the time, and she runs over and gives him a kiss and asks my niece, how in the hell do you know him? And, oh, he works for me at the Bank of America. He's a stockbroker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, crazy story. So you were talking to him, and you got him interested in wine. And I don't know if you heard, but he just got a uh, Top 100 Wine in Wine and Spirits magazine. Wow. Yeah. So he's, he's doing good. Top nice 100 work. Wine in the world. Yeah. Yeah. For uh, like a, a, a Kunwa's blend. So, um, um, Richard Surrett, so, by the way, got number six in the world with uh, Rosenblum. Oh, were they? Yeah. Oh, sure. And uh, who's getting the Surrett fruit now? I do not know who bought it. The kids were just so anxious to sell it. Was that, for was that a money? Little? They didn't even put it on the market hardly. Really? So I don't know. Who they were probably it. getting offers right away, and they just took now them. half of it sold the week before he died. Okay. Oh, wow. uh, and the, and of course he was going to help that couple get established, oh. and um, at this point I think they're really kind of afraid. Well, sure, right? I mean, you had the guy with all that brain, all that great farming. I mean, you know, uh, and- he uh, planted his first grapes in 1952 <sighs> when he was 17 and farmed his whole life. And that's what he said he wanted to do. And one of our most rewarding shows was when you let Jeremy and I in to your place right after Richard died. It must have been just a few days after that, less than a year ago. And you were so open and so honest with us. And that we, we sat on the same bench that you and Richard would sit on every single Sunday. I imagine Sundays are still probably pretty tough for you without your friend. Yeah. Um, anytime a white pickup drives in the drive on a <laughs> Sunday afternoon, I'm, you know, crushes you. No, he's not going to be there. But yeah, and uh, and but uh, as you're drinking his wine now, we're drinking the O five uh, from Surrett, and uh, you can realize what quality grapes he made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you hear all the time that wine's made in the vineyard, but um, there's nothing a winemaker can do to make wine better than the grape. Now you can make it worse. But there's no there's no magic winemaker that can create a good wine out of bad grape. If it's bad grape, right. it's going to be bad wine. Are you still making wine? Yes. This year, I only made wine from my own vineyard, which is only a, a two barrels, because uh, we only have basically an acre of uh, grape for visual more than anything else. Yeah. Because people come to a tasting room, you're supposed to have grapes. But when Richard was alive, I was made almost all my wine from Richard and also from Fronty Vineyard, which is up in uh, San Miguel. And um, and uh, Martin has been making some wine from Fronty Vineyard. And Martin uh, was uh, made his first wine at my winery in 2004, I guess it was. And, uh, and, um, and uh, so we've been good friends and around the corner from each other for a lot of years. And uh, Crowdo Winery now is really established himself in his own right and uh, making his own style of wine. We did a show with Martin and Crowd, yeah. and you got the inn over there. I mean, there's, there's so much going on, on on that hill. How has it been for you? How has the 2018 vintage treated you, Martin? Oh, good. Yeah, everything's, all the numbers, all the fruits looking really nice. Of course, it's late. It's, uh, you're still seeing a lot of fruit being uh, around the roads, and uh, even now, normally, you know, the more the further east you get, the earlier it's going to be, and every, everyone's been holding back. So yeah. last couple of weeks, there's been a flurry of uh, picking. Been hard to get uh, pickers, you know, and uh, 
but uh, I think all in all a good year. But nobody yeah, we heard, saw, yeah, we saw fruit coming in yesterday. We were up in Tin City after right. we did our Pastor Robles, or uh, the, the Steakhouse at Pastor Robles Inn show. Uh, we were up there, and so we stopped by Tin City because Adam is making his first wine. And uh, we thought we'd give it a look. And, uh, yeah, I was surprised to see that they were still dropping bins at the sorting tables. It's a terrible disease. <laughs> and now that you've got it, it's almost like... Catching a venereal disease. You can't, can't get rid of it. Yeah. It'll stay with you your whole life. It's the nice right. thing about it's it. It's like radio. You can make it until you're pretty old, as I'm living proof. Yeah. At uh, 85, it's still fun to make. Well, we're just making a barrel of white, and it has been really fun. But it's been more than anything, it's been uh, a re it's re really eye-opening. I mean, look, Jeremy and I have done this show, been blessed enough to do the show for eight years, eight years this harvest. and um, But to be in a cellar and to be doing this and moving this hose, and you see, the and you know, this is run by just the most fantastic women, Desperado, where I'm making the wine. Uh, they're doing a thousand things at once. You guys in the cellar are always doing a million things at once. Um, yeah, and it... Um it's basically a lot of work. Yeah. And uh, that's the one thing about it. Uh, Martin, luckily, is one of these super eager young guys that has lots of strength. And so it's kind of fun when I'm working over at his place to watch him work. I always tell people, if he's on the forklift, don't stand around because he's going to run over you. He's <laughs> in a hurry all He whips the time. that thing around? Yeah, he moves. <laughs> Talk about when you uh, made your first wine over at Hank's place, Martin, and what you kind of remember uh, from his direction and, and how that first vintage went. You know, well, Hank's always a bunch of fun to be around, and uh, I'd met Hank at a, another winery down the road right across from where he lives, and we hadn't had our property uh, that we had bought, which was just a distressed, essentially a distressed piece of property, when we purchased it <clears throat> and but it did have a, a, a some acreage uh, planted vines on it some zinfandel and uh but it was very distressed and i think we were able to get like two and a half tons off the first uh vi you know vintage and we we're picking it and uh, what does that make about four barrels uh yeah yeah okay. four or five barrels okay. and then um so then hank drives up we were picking the sick you know we picked this ourselves so you know it's all you got to be immersed in the whole you know culture of it that's the fun thing about it so hank drives up in his tr truck and says hey what are you going to do with that uh, macro bin right there full of grapes and he said why don't you bring it over to my place and and we'll make some wine see what it's like so i said cool i'll come and come and help you now, had you made wine before? No. So this was... Okay. <laughs> so we're this okay. was his first harvest, actually. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you yeah. take the grapes up. And then, uh, no, I didn't know anything about winemaking or viticulture. It was totally a new uh, direction for, for me. And so this whole experience was, at the beginning, was, you know, a, a whole new uh, direction in life, really. And then, uh, so I go, I follow Hank over in his, in his van, take a macro bin over, and, and, uh, I learned the ABCs of making wine. And, and now, that's how it, uh, yeah. The amazing thing about that barrel of wine, uh, in 2006, Robert Parker came down to Paso Robles to taste all the 2004 zins from the whole state. So it was still in the barrel. So we pulled a bottle out of the barrel, and Sandy made up a label, and we entered it Parker and got a 90 from Parker. Wow. There you go. And, I mean, 
And Martin, of course, of all the things, says, I'm going to open a winery fest. <laughs> and we kept saying, no, no, Martin, it's a waste of money. <laughs> but he didn't listen. I love it. So, anyway, we still actually... I almost pulled that one of those bottles today. I think I have four bottles left of the 2004. Wow. Well, we got a 2005 in the glass. I think we got Richard Surrett all across the table. There's a 2005 Richard Surrett Zinfandel. Now, if you don't know who Richard Surrett was, we talked about how we lost him a little less than a year ago uh, in an untimely uh, car accident. Uh, he is a Paso farming pioneer. Yeah, uh, he's a engine by himself. Yeah. And, uh, he sold to Rosenblum, I think, for 26 or 27 years. Another guy who just died too soon. Yes, and he just passed away. And uh, uh, Kent actually came down to Richard's Memorial because mm -hmm. they had worked together for so many years. And uh, Richard's fruit um, will give you some idea. The average price of Zimmendale and Paso Robles is around $1,400 a ton. Richard's got 3300 Wow. Which, you know, was... Big difference. Yeah. But the quality uh, uh, of his fruit was just, you know, and he uh, pruned so radically uh, to a low yield that uh, he really kept, he wanted quality. What were some of the secrets that he would employ? I mean, we're drinking a 176 yeah, I mean, uh, Zin, but it's still very rounded, and the 2005 is standing up beautifully. Did he have, like, an understudy? Did he have somebody that was kind of... No, that's the sad part. He yeah. worked by himself. He still pruned. Uh, right up until his death, uh, at uh, 82 years of age, he pruned on a 23-acre vineyard by himself. I mean, you know, and the pruning my one acre is more than I can do. I can get somebody to help me. Mm -hmm. And I can't even imagine. I couldn't even walk on his property because it's so steep besides. And uh, anyway, um, his fruit, uh, all of the wines, well, we'll go to the uh, six now. All right. uh, we've had the five. So very steep uh, inclines in the vineyards, and he pruned it all himself. Do you think it's in the? Is a lot of it in the pruning? Uh, yeah, he severely prunes uh, for it or down low yield, and uh, and so uh, which you know uh, to give you some idea, the Zinfandel that they grow in the San Joaquin Valley for white Zin. Uh, compared to uh, Richard got about two and a half tons to the acre. And the white Zin over in the San Joaquin Valley, uh, they get 18 tons to the acre. Wow. Jeez. Now you can imagine that they don't want the quality. Yeah. No. They want, and they don't want the color and they don't want the alcohol. So <clears throat> they, it's ideal from a oh. grower standpoint. <clears throat> wow, this six is something else. Holy cow, you get the raspberry on there? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know what oh, you yeah. guys are always looking for, but I mean, this to me smells like what I love about Zinfandel. These big, bold raspberry flavors that come out of it. Well, see, I'm a firm believer that I'm not really a winemaker. I'm a wine watcher. Uh, the grape is mm. making the wine. And it's like when you raise a child, you try and give it a direction that you want it to go, but you're never really sure it's going to go there. And so that's the one thing of fun of making wine. Every year is like a brand new challenge. And you don't know exactly what that grape is going to taste like. Now, this I haven't tasted probably in two or three years. Wow. And uh, it's unbelievably big on the palate. I wish I had a bunch of it to sell. <laughs> <laughs> Are there certain vintages, Hank, that stick out to you over the last 50 crushes you've had that were just... 
you know, major pains in the ass or or just beautiful blockbusters, stand out, beautiful vintages that just scream out to you right now? Thinking back 50 years. Uh, well, over 50 years, uh, I had completely changed my direction in the 70s when I opened my winery. Uh, Zinfandel died on the marketplace. Completely died. Cab came in and took over as king of grape. And Zimmerdale, they couldn't even sell it. So they were ripping out the vines. And if it hadn't been for the brilliance of Sutter Home coming up with the idea of White Zimmerdale to save the vines, most of those vines would have been ripped out. Well, it's funny that we're actually saluting White Zinfandel, but I guess oh. that makes sense. <laughs> and White Zinfandel was just a Zinfandel rosé, but it was non-dry. It was oh, Well, sweet. no, actually, it's not a rosé. It's made uh, as a red wine. Okay. But it, there's no color in uh, They pick it unripe, really. And so there's not much color there, and they press very early. Oh. And, uh, and not very hard, because they don't want the color. Actually, they make it pure white and then color it back with a little bit of real zin. And, uh, but even today, uh, white zin outsells red zin. No way. Quite a bit. Wow. Oh, yeah. Still kind of like an off-dry zin. is a real minor grape in the United States. Uh, Chardonnay has been number one for... Except for the last three months, Cabernet actually beat it for three months. But Chardonnay's back in front again. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cabernet is number two. And Zinn is about 15. I know you love Zinn, and Richard Surrett loves Zinn. Obviously, he was very good at growing it. But what did he think about, like, this Rhone explosion in the area, the Cab? Obviously, well, the one, one of wine that's, question. the one wine that's going down every month is Syrah. In one year, it's gone down 88, a little over 8%, which is a massive drop where most grapes are going up. Zin is actually going down about 2%. And uh, so, and the wine that's been exploding is rosé. But our, our, our Zin is still our biggest seller. And, of course, Richard is the only Zin we sell anymore. And, uh, and we still luckily have 16 and 17 in the barrel. And so we haven't even bottled that yet. So we'll have... Uh, Richard Wine, the cover is from here. We're kind of like Martin does, too. We uh, tend to leave wine in the barrel quite a ways before we bottle it. You, um, But I use very neutral oak, where Martin likes smoke on his wine, and he uses some nice new oak, which uh, is a lot cheaper for me to use old oak. I, somebody said to us once, oak is a lot like uh, your seasoning cabinets or your seasoning rack. And, uh, you know, some people like to have uh, a little more salt. Some people don't. Some people yeah. have a little more this, that, or the other. So it's all kind of preference on it. And and it, it is really neat to see how that's done. And we've talked to people that will, you know, age their wines a couple of years in neutral oak just because they like the mouthfeel that it gives it. Yeah, the uh, you cannot make really good red wine, in my estimation, in a stainless tank. Now, uh, you can add the, you know, wood chips and all these other things they add, but it's not really the same as a barrel. A barrel, you know, oxidizes, uh, it loses basically almost a fifth a month, a barrel. Uh, it's called the angel's share, by the way. And, uh, and, um, and that's part of the thing. You keep concentrating that wine because you keep topping it off with, uh, you know, fresh wine that's not been in a wood. And, uh, so, but, uh, white wine do that too? Uh, any wine in a barrel will do that? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. this is, yeah. To that extent, though, like about you a always fifth. have to make more than your barrel. Right. Sure. So you chop it off, right? I just didn't know if white wine does that to the same as red, but I gotcha. 
But uh, um, a lot of white wine is made in stainless, never sees it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's and, very true. Uh, they bubble oxygen into it and do all kinds of things to, you know, qu- kind of give it the effect of a barrel. And the people that started that really were down in Aus- New- Australia and New Zealand. Their import duties were so expensive on barrels, they can't afford barrels. So that's where they started coming up with the alternative. And just kind of ways to do fixes and, and, and make it work. That's uh, Hank Donatoni. We got Martin Crowe here. 50 years of winemaking is, is amazing. And I love, okay, so your, your, your winery and your tasting room used to be at the end of the runway in LAX. When did you make the move to Paso Robles? Uh, we moved here in uh, 2000. And um, it, uh, I always wanted to move up here, and it just seems like something always got in the way. Well, I think you got ahead of the curve a little bit because I'm sure property's gone up quite a bit. Oh since yeah, then. And, and also, um, but my first trip here, I fell in love with Paso. We came up in 1969 to pick grapes at the old Castile Ranch, which was one of the oldest vineyards in the area. And um, he charged an exorbitant price of a hundred dollars a ton, and we had to pick our own grapes. Jeez, my gosh. <laughs> where, where was this uh, property about located? Uh, it's about halfway out Vineyard. Okay. And uh, on Jensen Road, this little dirt road that goes off. And uh, anyway, uh, not only did the $100 include your grapes, uh, it uh, he shot a deer that week, and they have a big venison barbecue on Friday night. Everybody camped out on his lawn, and in the morning you went out and picked grapes. And uh, went home and this, made your wine. This sounds like it'd be like just next to like where no, where, where like Brecken is now. Yes, it's up that road. That is Jensen Road. The, yeah, that's Jensen Road. That's the family. Yeah, that's the family I got Allie from. Yeah. Oh wow. Really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. They own Adelaide Floral and Templeton. But yeah, yeah. that's where I and my, uh, lab. my cuttings uh, of my vineyard in uh, Topanga were from that vineyard. Oh no way. Yeah. How did yeah. wine grow in Topanga, in the uh-huh. basin there? Oh, actually, really good. Did it? Except we had a water because uh, uh, we didn't. Uh, although we had the heaviest rainfall in L.A. County in Topanga Canyon, yeah. So we had quite a good heavy rainfall. Well, what years are we talking? We're talking about some of those years of like the well, El Nino uh, and '68. I mean, okay, it was my first harvest off of the vineyard, and uh, he had put in a wine cellar part ways. Uh, the previous owner, and uh, he actually was the first person out of our. A, a group of friends that opened a winery. He opened a small winery in L.A., and which had to be done in the train yards because it had the same zoning as a steel mill, and it still does in L.A. city itself. That's why San Antonio Winery is down in the train LA, yards. Right. It's, yeah. I mean, the back of the San Antonio property is the train track. Uh, and uh, literally, and uh, a marvelous winery. Of course, now they have this beautiful new winery up here. Yeah, sure. And state of the art. Uh, oh my gosh. Rabolis. Yes. Rabolis. Yeah. Or Ribolis, uh, depending on your viewpoint. Of yeah. <laughs> I would pronounce it Riboli, but they pronounce it Ribley. Oh, do they? Yes. Well, we got to get them corrected on that. Well, <laughs> and, and uh, but they also saved me my very first year. Uh, I didn't realize how slow the government was in handing out a license. <laughs> and I bought grapes before I had my license. And I was going to have to eat 10 tons of Cabernet. And they let me crush down under their bond until I got my bond and moved bond to bond. With no charge, by the way, for the use of their tank. And uh, so uh, I, I'm very respectful to the family. It's so neat that, that you share that story and 
you know, I feel like things really haven't changed all that much in Paso. You know, everybody's still kind of looking out for everybody, and everybody's still about raising Paso up and, sure. and helping out a friend and helping out, uh, you know, a fellow winemaker. All, all of us have lend the equipment, you know, because we know there's going to come a time when our equipment breaks right at harvest. Because nothing breaks during the rest of the year, of course. Right. You know, use it. Exactly. And uh, so uh, it's harvest time when everything turns to crud. And uh, being I'm on the radio, I have to not use my normal. No, I know. And when you really need it, it can sit there all year. But when you need it, and that's yeah. when it'll go down, and that's when you need a friend. That's uh, Hank Donatoni. We're, we're sitting here. We're having the 06 Zinfandel right now. It's just such a great wine. We're going to come back. Talking about the uh, man swagger that Richard Surrett had. He would just sit there with his button down to the middle, have his chest hair popping out. He was always kind of tan. He just had a smile and a charm about him. Big and, and women 30 years younger would just come up to him and just, like, be lost in conversation with him. Like, Well, he sat in front of our booth at our block party at Tooth and Nail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the couple that worked for us and ran the uh, port, our wine pours, uh, said they'd never seen anything like it. He just sat in the chair drinking wine, not trying to pick up ladies. And they finally named him the Chick Magnet. <laughs> women came over all night. They said at least 40 women came. and gave them cards. Uh, and a couple of them gave them cards with their husbands sending their watching. <laughs> I just remember he had game. his hands. I shook his hand. Oh. He had some hands, man. I, I said it was like shaking hands with a vice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, solid steel. And, uh, he you don't had, get those in radio. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have Carl Wittstrom hands. My hands are the size of Carl Wittstrom. Oh yeah, I mean I have pretty good, good sized hands, but they're they're not very strong. Yeah, now <laughs> Richard uh, did have bad arthritis in his hands from all those years of pruning. Uh, yeah, and if it hadn't been for the electric scissors, uh, he probably would have had to quit pruning. Oh, we saw those at Wi-Fi a couple years ago. Those things, the little hydraulics behind them, they make you cut through a. Big, huge thing just with the ease. Yeah, they're well, they, buying a pair this the year. The dangerous yeah. part, remember, Richard never had them, is that you can cut your fingers off without thinking. Right. Yeah. Well, they finally came up with a light metal glove that you put on your other hand, and with you got him within three inches, it electronically set off the scissors. That's smart. So you couldn't possibly cut yourself. Oh, Ugh. yeah, because you're going into uh, you know a cluster of vines and things like that. You're not really seeing what you're doing. And uh, if you want to prune a big... Not you just push the button on those scissors and they open all the way and yeah. you know they're the loppers instead of having to carry the loppers and your I yeah, just printed some trees and things around my house. Rosemary, I bought some loppers for forty bucks. Yeah, I took them back. They were terrible. Mm. I mean, it's like you, you, to get good loppers, and see, that's got to be a benefit of living in wine country and having an ag thing like uh, Wi-Fi come to town. Right. Is, you know, anybody can go get you. There's always a need of good loppers, especially now you now that you're a man with a yard. Oh, yes. Yeah, in the back there. Yeah. Uh, a yard to make All kinds right of different now. trees and what have you. Oh, yeah. Well, so, I grew up as a gardener and landscaper, and I put myself all through college that way. And when I got out of the Navy before I went to work for United, I... Uh, went back to landscaping and, and gardening. And so that's my second real love besides making wine. And it kind of goes hand in hand because, you know, uh, you're using a great product. And uh, and I always said the uh, true proof that God loves us all is he created yeast. Because if you stop and think about it, first of all, your body couldn't operate without yeast. We wouldn't have beer. Right. We wouldn't have wine. And we wouldn't have bread. And, I mean, half the things we eat come from yeast. A little thing you can barely see or 
even though it's there. That's a great point. And uh, all oh. things that I could have way too much of, and I shouldn't. <laughs> Red beer, wine, right, <laughs> and cheese. And well, yeah, that's sure. Too. I mean, you know, you got to add that. And uh, uh, anybody, uh, that was the hardest thing for me to understand with Richard Surrett. He couldn't understand how anybody could eat blue cheese. He despite he didn't want to be at the table with it. Right, I would agree with him. I yeah, don't like too. it either. Oh, say because I love blue cheese. I love every kind of stinky cheese, but I don't know what it is about cheese. I think it was growing up having Roquefort dressing on my salad. I couldn't stand it. Yeah, uh -huh. it's just kind of like a blue cheese dressing. I don't even know if they make it anymore. I think they used to call it that in the seventies and eighties. But well, Roquefort, uh, of course, is one of the most expensive of all cheeses. True Roquefort. And because we did uh, agree with France on that, and we couldn't call our cheese Roquefort anymore. So we called it blue? Yeah, blue cheese. <laughs> and and, uh, and Roquefort is a completely different flavor. Uh, it's made in a mold that comes from a cave, and they age it in caves. And, you know uh, your cheese. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, but um, cheese and wine kind of is a match made in heaven, I Mm -hmm. So we talked about when you got into wine, it was because you bought a house with a vineyard on it. And you're right. like, well, i got to do something with this. You bought a book, and you learned how to make wine. Um, we talked about when you came up to Paso Robles in, in the early 2000s. And uh, what, uh, talk about, talk about your, your flighty career a little bit. D did you decide one day that you were tired of spending so much time away from the winery and you wanted to focus more on wine and it was ready to retire? Was it? Oh, oh, was no. your number up and they just no. made you retire after being a pilot for Federal law stops you from flying. It did at 60 years of age. They oh. pull your license. Oh, so you're, you, you're forced to retire from oh, being yeah. a pilot. And uh, one man had put that in years ago, uh, General Casada, uh, and uh, for no reason he just decided 60 was it. Now, just a few years ago, because there's no short pilots, they've upped it to 65. Well, it's funny because, like, I feel like when my, when my grandpa died, he was like 67, I think. And he was, by all accounts, and he was, I remember him being an old man when he died, but like 67. Now, my dad's 73, and like 73 right now is not 73 20, 30 years ago. Well, 85, <clears throat> you're 85. 85 now is not the same as 85 was 30, 40 years ago. Would you agree? Well, at the start of the century, uh, at 1900, uh, the average age was about 30. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, the average age now is in the late 80s. And uh, uh, anybody says, you know, uh, our environment is not healthy, <laughs> how come people live that much longer? <laughs> of course, good medicine has a lot to do with it. Yeah, yeah. and we don't and, work as hard. And, of course, drinking a lot of good wine probably has as much to do with it. And I always feel sorry for people that don't drink any wine because I think... Gee, they're going to die way younger than they should. Right. <laughs> Unless they're missing out. Because I know one thing. There's a lot of old wine drinkers around. Yeah. And uh, I can't even imagine having a dinner without wine. Yeah. I mean, so talk about um, talk about your retirement from the airlines. What was the what was that last flight like? Well, the last flight, you know, uh, you're kind of crying to begin with because they're taking away your life style that you've had for well for me 36 years all i knew was flying i never had a job really uh, other than flying and of course basically somebody was paying for my hobby and um anyway we have a saying in the airline industry the only landing that ever counts is your last landing if you don't have a good landing on that last landing uh your whole career is down the tubes and so sandy tried everything she could 
on each flight leading up to my retirement, there was a little poem on my clipboards saying, you know, the only landing that ever counts. And so we're ready to head back to L.A. from Sydney for my last landing. And the co-pilot says, God, she's been unmerciful on those things. Do you want me to make your last landing so you don't screw it up? And I looked at him and I said, are you crazy? I'm going to let you make my last landing? Yeah. What, what is the matter with you? And um, when I reversed in L.A., went to reverse, he grabbed my hand. And he said, we're not on the ground yet. I said, yes, we are. <laughs> and uh, it was that smooth. And all the people knew uh, it was my last landing. And you could hear the applause in the cockpit. Is that right? Ah, that's yeah. awesome. That's so cool. That must have felt good to just, like, stick it one last time. Oh, like a yeah. Mm. It, it, it just... And but she so knew. Is that really what it's all about? Is the landing? Because if it is, I want to talk to some Alaska Airlines pilots. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, um, the airplane they were flying that seven thirty-seven uh, was probably the stiffest uh, oleo of any airplane, and it could make a bad landing really easy. And uh, uh, but um, I used to shoot. We uh, in the cockpit, we'd shoot landings for beers after uh, you know we got off the flight. And who paid for the beer, you know, who, you know, made the worst landing. And I don't think I ever paid for a beer in my career. And landing just seemed natural to me. It's probably like us hitting a perfect ramp of a song. Oh, sure. Uh, totally. And so it's not nearly as cool, but like when the instrumental part of a beginning of a song goes, right yeah. before the singer kicks in. I mean, that's what, you know, a good DJ tries to do is fit a lot of information in there and flow with it. But anyways. I love that story. I, that would probably be the closest thing. I think so. I think you're right. <laughs> With our lame job. We got Hank Donatoni here celebrating his 50th crush, Donatoni Vineyards. Also, Martin Crowd from Crowd. What is it about uh, your neighbor here, Hank, that you were just really uh, turned on by and just really um, kind of sparked you for this friendship, Martin? Oh, it's great. Well, Hank's such a fun guy, and every day's a, you know, you know, just an awesome day for him and uh it lives life to the fullest and oh he's got uh, a big smile he's only he, he's got a long way to go yet so it's just we just have uh it's finally there's a, there's never a, a friend he hasn't met you know it's the enthusiasm of meeting new people and having you know it's a big thing for hank his winery is just when people come and being able to share uh, the stories with them and and just meet new people and it's a it's a really cool thing to see that. Yeah, I love it. Hank Donatoni's here. We got twenty ten in the glass. Did we talk about that one yet, Jeremy? No, we haven't. But we did pour it in there. It's uh, it's really good. Talk about this vintage a little bit. What do you remember about it? Um, Richard, um, normally as a winemaker, you tell the grower when to pick, and you know you go out. Once I started dealing with Richard from the first year, I knew I'm not going to tell Richard anything. Right. When it came to the grape, he would call and say, we're going to pick Thursday. I said, okay. <laughs> was it because he was stubborn or because you just trusted his pick so well? Oh, no. He knew. He he talked to those grapes. Yeah. You know, they actually talked back to him. I mean, you know, people talk to their dog. He talked to his grapes. How would I mean, that, did he have like a little voice that he would do? Like, would it go higher? Like, almost like when you're talking to a baby or a dog? Um, he mainly, anybody that ever bought some of his grapes and did not make a really great wine, as far as he was concerned, they were the loser. Right, And sure. he would never sell to them again. <laughs> he always uh, put it in his contract that yeah. 
if he didn't approve of the wine, that he wouldn't sell to him anymore. And, I mean, you know, how many growers could get away with that? And, actually, he had his name trademarked, and uh, I think uh, he uh, charged 25 cents a bottle to put his name on a bottle of wine. So, like, if you want to do a vineyard, it for doesn't... me. Yeah. Because I made his personal wine. That's how we got together. Um, in 2006, he was totally contracted out, or in five, when I started uh, with Rosenblum, so he couldn't sell me grapes. So he only could sell me second pick. Uh, Zimmendale puts out a small second set of grape, and most of the time they'll cut them off and drop them because they aren't ripe at the same time as the main uh, bunch. So he actually picked those for me to make the five and the six. Very expensive picking because where normally you're getting like two and a half tons from an acre with a second set, you might get a quarter of a ton. So it's very expensive to have it picked. But he thought it'd be worth it. And, of course, and then uh, he renegotiated his contract with Rosenblum that he could sell up to five tons to me. Because everybody used to ask me, how how in the heck do you get Richard's grapes? (laughs) Literally, Rosenblum had the rest of it. Yes. He had the whole lot. Yeah. But five tons. And then when Rosenblum sold it to Diageo, which is the largest liquor company in the world, uh, they're run by bean counters, and they wanted to cut the pay that Richard got. And Richard canceled with them, of course. And that's the first time he sold his grapes uh, legally. Uh, who uh, actually buys some of them, or did buy some of them, was uh, Gary Everly. And Gary sure, canceled with uh, Richard 30 years before because the grapes were too expensive. And finally, he went to um, Richard and said, I'd like to buy some of your grapes. And Richard said, are you willing to pay the price? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he actually told Richard, he says, I haven't made a good zen since I canceled with you. Yeah. So he thought the world of Richard also. Yeah, it's really cool to see. I remember Joe Barton a couple of years ago. Yeah. Got a little bit of some of those grapes. I mean, uh, the farming. And, you know, maybe from a winemaking perspective, you know, talk about having a really big wine. I mean, some of these wines are, you know, 17.5%, yet they're balanced, and they're balanced throughout. The whole palate, it all, it all pans out. Well, you know, a lot of people have, criticized the the high alcohol wine you're not trying to make high alcohol but if you really want those flavors there is no way to do it unless you want to water the grape rosen uh bloom did water the grapes they brought the alcohol down to 15 which to me would be i would cry before i put water in richard's grape yeah. and richard would have probably shot me <laughs> <laughs> and because he was proud of his grapes and he didn't want me messing with them and uh, so the 10, uh, like I say, I, I did very little. Now, all the Zins until the 15 um, have some uh, Petite Syrah in them and a la Country Brochet, which was a normal blend. And yeah, we have a 12, and then what else do you have over 15. there in front of you? Then we 15. have a 15. Okay. We're, uh, yeah, a la Cante Boucher, that's kind of somewhat always, uh, most of the time, kind of interspersed with Zin and, and lots of Zin, right? In the old Italian vineyards, they're never pure Zimmendale. Mm-hmm. They're called a field blend. Mm-hmm. And they interplanted uh, the two coloring grapes, which are, Alicante is one of the only, there's only four grapes that have red juice. And uh, a la Cante Boucher is one of them. What are but, the other three, do you know? Uh, Ruby Red is the only one I know of planted in California. And the other two, I forget the name because nobody has them. <clears throat> right. And uh, ruby red is used quite a bit for coloring, grown in the valley. It'll have color even in the valley. But it's a lousy grape 
by itself. Yeah. Same as Alicante Brochet is really not very good by a wine. But as a coloring grape, that's where it's at. Hey, Donna Tony. So we have the 12 in the glass, and this one by far is uh, really stands out. This is a very different wine. Talk about this vintage a little bit. Uh, the 12 um, is uh, one of those uh, real big years. It runs almost 18 in alcohol, as I remember. Damn. Very spicy. And, and yet spicy there's no though. hint of the hot. Yeah. All right. The fruit carries it. There's so much fruit on it. And uh, each year, though, as you notice, it's completely different noses. I mean, totally. anybody says all years are the same. Nah. California wine. Same vineyard. Same fruit. Same everything. Just coming off of... Uh a different vintage. Yeah. You remember 2011 was a cold, wet year, remember? You had a lot of people had frost, and oh, yeah. 12 was like the beginning of that like three-year set where it was just like warm, warmer, and, you know, really some really cool vintages. Uh, one of our bottling crew lives just below the dam at, like, Nashimeno, and, um, and so he's right on the river, and luckily he says his house is just a little higher than the dam, so if it does uh, break, it should uh, be all right. And anyway, uh, um, we were there a couple of years ago having lunch, and all of a sudden everything, a big roar goes off, and we all jump up. We don't know what's happening. And the dam, um, the water was coming over the spillway. It was when uh, it was the last time it was full. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I mean, unbelievably beautiful to see the water coming over and hear it. And uh, and now, of course, the dam is, I think, at 20-some percent or something. 16. It's so low. Yeah. Yeah, people are very upset about it. Oh, yeah. Well, Monterey controls the water. Uh, San Luis gave the water away, from my understanding, because the lake is in almost entirely in San Luis County, not in Monterey. And Monterey only... The dam and a little part of it. Yeah, just at the, when you go over the dam is when you kind of cross into Monterey County, right? Yeah. And so just a little bit of it, yeah. In fact, uh, our friend that uh, had all kinds of problems with Monterey County because he was to bring the power lines across Monterey and they wouldn't give him permission. Oh, he had to go all solar. Hank, I want to ask you a couple questions about things that have happened in like the last eight years that we've been here and kind of how you've thought of them. Uh, let's say like East versus West and the 11 AVAs, the 11 sub-AVAs. Well, you know, uh, we uh, <clears throat> decided actually this year, this will be our last year we're open to the general public. We're closing to uh, appointment only in the club. And because, uh, you know, every weekend over uh, all these years, it's gotten old and Sandy's kind of tired of it. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, so we uh, and also I, I've been wanting to go back to Italy to visit family, and we can't go because the best time to go is during crush, and of course I can't leave crush, and so now I, I can stick Martin with everything, <laughs> and uh, you know it's nice to have a backup, and uh, so uh, uh, we're really looking forward to the end of the year, and then my niece gives us a free week at her condo in Kona every year as a Christmas gift. And uh, it, um, we like to joke, it's kind of a small condo. It's 3,000 square feet. Oh, wow. Jeez. <laughs> it's a duplex on a third of an acre overlooking the water. We'll fit in your baggage. <laughs> take Jeremy and I with you. Well, we take baggage as our wine because it's cheaper to <laughs> check it as a baggage for $25 a bag than it is to have a chip. Yeah, right. It costs us a couple hundred dollars. The ship to Hawaii is prohibitive. 
And uh, anyway, uh, uh, we always think that, uh, I always tell people, if you want to know what heaven's going to be like, go to Hawaii. Because that's, I think, what heaven should be. Yeah. <laughs> never hot, never cold, really, you know, just perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And except they make lousy wine. I shouldn't say that, but it's not very good. Probably not the best ideal conditions for wine. No. Well, the one area where they planted all the grapes initially, it blows the leaves off the vine. Mm. And without leaves, um, you can't get uh, ripeness. Right. Um, basically, you only need uh, 20 leaves past the bunch to ripen the uh, grape. And uh, so, uh, but grape growing, uh, I've never really been a farmer except for the little vineyard we have. Um when you had people like Richard around, why why would you go to any place else? Right, you had someone who was a buddy, so you could trust, ask any questions, and, and just uh, direction. And by the way, is a very very. It's a little lighter in color than the others, mm -hmm. and yet it's lots of flavors. Very very good, Hank Donatoni. Uh, you know, t talking about this, I know you've bought in Paso fruit for a long time. You've been coming up here for a long time. Paso has really changed a lot. I love that we, we cracked open this 10. That was the year that Adam and I got to start this Quirk Dork show. Right. Where it was just two guys that loved to get a buzz on and have some fun. And we wanted to learn a little bit about winemaking. Our first show, we didn't, I mean, our first year or two, it was tough. I mean, it was, we were having a good time, but we didn't know anything about wine. And we were trying to find people that were going to be accepting to a couple of guys that knew nothing about wine, but wanted to learn about it. And everybody was, was accepting to us. It's kind of neat to drink this right now. We've got the 12 in the glass. Uh, we got one more wine to get to. Is there anything that you uh, that, that you miss from the old Paso Robles? Is there anything that you're excited about that you see today that well, you didn't see maybe 10, 15 years ago? The, uh, most of the people that come up here now to go tasting are a lot more sophisticated. It was actually kind of fun when you had people that had no knowledge of wine, grape, or anything. Yeah. And you could start uh, giving them your love for wine, and uh, now it's it's a lot tougher. Although every once in a while, we we had a young couple come in the winery, and they were kind of embarrassed, and they wanted to tell us that uh, they had only been drinking wine for a year, and they just broke the ten dollar level. Oh, oh wow. is that right? <laughs> and and uh, they and upgraded. Put a smile on your face. They upgraded from to buck truck to ten dollar wine, and uh, and. Uh, and they went through our array of wines, and you could see their face changed as they tasting. And finally, they were whispering to each other, and she called me over, and she says, could we buy a bottle of the Surrette Vertical? I said, what? You're going to a $60 wine? She says, well, you know, we didn't know wine could be like this. She says, our experience was just with wine. But nothing like this. You've opened our eyes. And she says, we decided instead of going out to dinner, I'm a really good cook. We're going to have a bottle of the Surrette Vertical and uh, for the two of us. And I'm going to cook and we're going to splurge. And she says, you've opened our eyes to wine. And I felt so good to be able to oh, pass yeah. on my love uh, for wine. And that's great because, you know, maybe they'll be at a dinner party, they'll have a nice bottle, and they're going to share that, and then that's going to grow. It's going to foster. It's gonna... Well, we always tell people, though, buy a Surratt, there's a rule that goes with it. You never open it with guests because that bottle won't go four ways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no way. And and, uh, and I'm a I'm firm believer a bottle of wine is for two people. Mm -hmm. The most asked question I get in the winery 
is how do you save a half bottle of wine? And I say, beats the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> how many more harvests do we think we have in us, Mr. Donatoni? What's that? How many more crushes are we going to do? Uh, well, probably until I die. I die. You want you want to do this? You, you, you ain't stopping anytime soon. Well, I can. And I'll lose my little small tax advantage. All right, sure. And as long as I have this sucker around the corner from me to help me. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, um, uh, I don't know if you heard, uh, Martin commuted uh, from Bakersfield for I don't know how many years, and he came on Thursday, and his wife couldn't come till Friday. Because she had to schedule the electricians, uh, their other business. And so every Thursday night, he came to our house for dinner. It was called Thursday Night Special. And uh, he is a great eater. And no matter what Sandy made, he loved it. So Sandy always felt good. And, and he actually would eat, eat anything Sandy made except for one item. He won't eat liver. <laughs> <laughs> and... But luckily, his wife loves liver, so everybody eats liver except Martin. I didn't know people still. I didn't know people still ate liver. I haven't. I don't. You're kidding me. <laughs> oh, liver and onions is I've, one of the great delicacies of the world. I've never had it, especially with sherry and uh -huh. uh, marsala. Sandy uses marsala in almost all cooking, oh. and also to give a plug to another winery. If you like marsala for cooking, San Antonio Winery's old recipe of marsala. Is incredibly good. We use nothing but San Antonio Marsala. We buy it in a four-liter bottle, and Sandy puts it into fifths and yeah. use it. Do you ever go? Are you and Sandy ever go out to dinner? Are you checking out some of the newer places in Paso or some of the newer uh, restaurants? Well, we went to one of our favorite new places for beer and pub food. Uh, the street side that's been in a Tascadero yeah. just opened in Paso. Oh, really? Yeah, Street they took over the old... Uh, I heard they make a great burger. Oh, the lamb burger. Yeah, if you like lamb, lamb burger. Ah, it's superb. And uh, But they they have 30-some beers on tap. So, I mean, you can have almost any kind of... And they rotate them. And uh, so uh, it's a great place. You like beer? Oh, yeah. What do you drink? I love stout. Oh, okay. I love a good stout. And... Uh, um, you know, it's amazing. All the years growing up, I drank Budweiser or Miller and never realized there was really some really good beer out there yeah. that are completely different. And I ran a beer bar for the women's club in Topanga Canyon for 26 years. The first year, they would let me buy one keg of beer. My last year, I we pumped out 40 kegs of beer. We made money. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I loved it. The debriefing for the, my last beer harvest down there, uh, some of the young ladies said, stood up and said, we shouldn't sell beer and encourage people to drink. And the gal that worked with me said, we netted $36,000 on the beer. That was the end of that discussion. Oh, sure, right? <laughs> right. Hank Donatoni, we're talking about his 50th crush. Um, this has been a lot of fun. Well, how fun for you to bring some of these really cool library wines in here, share some stories, pilot for over 36 years, served in the Navy. By the way, uh, the nice thing about a lot of the restaurants in Paso now allow uh, no corkage if you bring in a local wine. Yeah. And from our standpoint, we like that. And, uh, you know, because we think that's, you know, sharing with the neighbors sure. and also 
Uh, it saves a lot of money. What are the things you drink? You into cider, sparkling wine? You like I've liquor? I've never drinking a cider. I don't know what a cider even should taste like. No, is that right? No. Man, I wish I would have known that. I don't know if you have Yeah, it. we have some, some great ciders here. In uh, I've read a lot about it, and, and uh, you know. Um, I don't have any. Well, you know, they have one at the street side next time you go in for a Lambert. Well, yeah. you know, the one thing uh, you have to be careful of owning a winery is drinking too much wine. So we have a firm rule, Sandy and I, that we only drink wine in days that end in Y. <laughs> and, uh, and if you don't like that rule, you only drink with someone or by yourself. <laughs> that, way, that way you won't overdrink. And, uh, you know, because it supposedly adds weight. But I'm the same weight I was when I left high school. So within one pound. And uh, so I'm not. Yeah, me too. <laughs> sure. I guess I need to start making wine. God bless you, Hank Donatoni. You are my hero. <laughs> and and uh, my doctor, uh, I admonished to him and tell him how much wine I drink. And he said, oh, my God, as a doctor, I should tell you that you drink way too much wine. But he says, you're so healthy for your age. You're healthier than most of my 50-year-old wow. patients. So he said, whatever you do, keep it up. How much wine do you think we're drinking a day? Bottle to a bottle and a half. Yeah. yeah. God bless you. What do you do with the other half? Well, Sandy drinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> half bottle. And uh, now we do like white wine as an appetizer. Mm-hmm. And usually we always start out with a little white wine. And normally we drink a Sauvignon Blanc. I love Sauvignon And although we've been making uh, Viognier, so we uh drinking Viognier quite a bit now, too. And... Uh, uh, I think uh, B&A has become one of my really popular white wines. It's, in fact, you know, it's interesting what people are using V&A for now. Red winemakers are adding a little V&A to the red wine. Yeah. Very small amounts. I've seen the co-ferments. Maybe 3%, mm-hmm. 4%, just to give it fruit, instant fruit. Right. You don't have enough fruit on your red wine. That's a, Nobody's going to say anything about it, but... So it's a little sneaky. All the yeah. little tricks. And it's legal, of course. Yeah. Sure, sure. Because you're not adding but a small amount. What's your plan for the rest of the, the week and the weekend? What do you got going on? Uh, th- we were recovering from our uh, pickup party. Our pickup huge. party that we just had last week. Two sold out days. And uh, we sold out a lot of our wines. We sold out of the vertical. And uh, so now all our club members are hollering at me to make another vertical. And I still have a bottle of 11, a barrel of 11. So I A barrel of 2011, huh? Yeah. Wow. Oh, we got to come over and thief that. And That's see what, Richard. Obviously. See what you got going? Yeah, sure. And uh, we uh, we only made, basically, since we've been up here, one other Zimmendale, and that was from Dan Manini, uh, but he was not legally in Paso Robles. He's three miles across the line yeah. in uh, Monterey, so we couldn't put Paso on the wine. And we've been kind of a firm believer in Paso. That's right. Paso Robles. And, That's uh, the message. Uh, and, and, you know, most people don't realize so much of our red grapes leave the county and go to Napa. Oh, sure. And I have never seen a bottle of Napa wine that mentions Paso Robles. Yeah, no, we yeah. haven't either. We've been looking. When hell freezes over, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to say um, thank you to Hank Donatoni and also uh, to Martin Crowd for uh, you know spurring this with that text. I really appreciate that. Cheers, guys. Thanks for coming in. Okay. Always great to see thank you. Thank you, Hank. <laughs> time to see the cork door. Salute. 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 Most people forget there's an E on the end. <laughs> and in Italian, there's no silent vowels.